Hello and welcome to Tutmana Podcast. It has been a month since we last podded. We're getting a bit slack. John, what have you got to say for yourself? I have been distracted growing this beard and that's taken up a lot of my time. So apologies. And for a podcast, that doesn't really work either. That's really helpful for the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So apologies. Normal service will be resumed. It is a good beard though. It's like Mr. Twit from the Twits with a cornflake in. I don't know if anyone will get that reference. Anyway, I didn't, so. <laughs> triple I'll J attack again. Yeah, do. Jack, Wagwan. Hello. Are you okay, James? I feel like we've had a month off. How are you? Um, I'm all right. We haven't. Obviously, there's been many games, and the last pod we did was. Um, after we beat Accrington going into the Wednesday game and obviously we went to the Wednesday game and that was quite fun so I think we're going to take a trip down memory lane and talk about that at some stage during the pod especially and I just I want to mention at the top of the the episode that beautiful picture of all the fans collapsing on themselves in the terrace at Wednesday and that little bloke whose face just appeared from uh, within the darkness as he as he, bodies were just collapsed around him that was a particular highlight for me and a shout out to the uh the dorset yellows i think it was who came up a long way and uh came and found us and said hello that was a nice in real life interaction yeah absolutely good shout i forgot about that but it was it was nice to meet some people that listen and they offered to buy us beers but i was like no we'll buy you some beers for listening so you know works both ways Anyway, uh, today we'll go through, obviously, the games that have happened since we last did a pod. Uh, we'll touch on the news before we do that. Obviously, there's been more takeover chatter this week and a very formal-looking interview with some weird bloke in the background um, behind Jerome, which I found quite funny. So we'll touch on that Bakery interview um, and also have a look at what's going on around transfers as we near, um, I suppose we're kind of near January. I suppose we've got to get through Christmas first. That sounds terrifying. Um, and then we'll look ahead to uh, the games coming up in Bristol on Saturday. So let's start with the takeover stuff. I'm in a bit of a weird place with this in that it feels like there was 11, 12 minutes worth of a video interview about a takeover for Oxford, which should be very exciting. And I am excited because it feels like it's going to happen, but it, I've kind of thought it was happening for like a year now. So I, I, do, I wasn't completely over the moon without having any um anything to kind of claw at but jack the stuff around sustainability sounded promising and it does you know you've got to think that the stadium is going to be a reality now yeah well the fact that um mr bakri i can't remember his first name we'll call him mr bakri um has a been happy to give such a lengthy interview and b has been happy for it to not only be broadcast on the radio, but filmed as well, suggests that A, he's very serious, and B, um, the discussion points, i.e. a new stadium, are very serious. It's not just all a pipe dream and, you know, new owner with with big dreams, get everyone on side kind of approach. It is an active thing, and I think he was probably quite coy on how active it is um but yeah i mean how can he not be excited um we've all 
never really learned to like or even love the Kassam. You know, it, it is what it is, but something new that would be ours and hopefully fans um, can have an involvement in helping to design in, in, in some way would, would, would be brilliant. Yeah, it'd, it'd be interesting, John, wouldn't it, to see whether it's more of a community-driven thing similar to kind of what york have done near me where there's like a whole community leisure complex and everything else that's kind of gone with it but the whole thing around us owning the stadium as the club that's got to be the key thing hasn't it yeah i thought that was one of the most key things that came out of the um the recent oxfox update and was said because we the situations that i think sheffield wednesday is, is one that springs into mind and i think derby might be another where they've lost control of their stadium effectively yeah. just for sort of accounting kind of ruses scares the scares the life out of me i'm kind of like you in a bit on the whole thing james i'm i'm excited about it you know these are people who've seem to clearly have funds they've delivered stadiums before you know the guy's very articulate it all feels good and also the cynical side of me looks at it and goes i can't see a, another reason why they want to kind of get involved with the club you know, for example, take take with Reading. So my Reading friend tells me that when they were taken over a previous owner, it was all about the land around the stadium. Yeah. And they wanted to develop that land and then they kind of sold the club and then sort of kept the land. There's no land play with the Kassam or or if it's a new stadium, then that's a different kind of land play. So that's kind of things like that are encouraging. On the interview, I always look at kind of like the timing of these things and it might just have been a long-standing commitment to do it with the BBC and he was in the country. It could be as simple as that. But equally, to your point, there wasn't a lot of new news in that interview. The takeover mm. hasn't been completed. The stadium, wanting a new stadium, there was a few more details, but nothing, we know we wanted a new stadium. Um, the sustainability stuff was like, yeah, that kind of goes, not to dismiss it, but as kind of by the by these days, to be honest. Um, so I was kind of looking at it going, well, you wouldn't come out with this stuff if it's not at a serious progression stage, you'd look really stupid. So that's so that's why I sort of believe there is something behind it. But I just wondered who the who the message was this interview was for. Is it aimed at Kassam? Is it aimed at the council? Saying, look, we're about to go into the big a big stage in the development of this. I thought it must have been done with a with an audience in mind. It's not really about geeing up the fans. Yeah. Because the takeovers supposed to have been a done deal and fairly simple for a while so that's that's some few things that are going around my mind but like you mentioned the york stadium and and jack you're quite close to that the timeline of doing all this by potentially 2026 and i'm not a planning expert i've had a bit to do with it even with a really supportive local council and all these things lined up it's incredibly difficult to do and that's where i'm sort of a bit kind of like well there's a lot of things that seem to be hurdles that need to be passed and that's not to dumb to, to do all this down it's really it's clearly exciting this is clearly substantial but there's some bits we need to think yeah. how do we actually get the timeline what does the timeline look like the other view is like whether or not they want something in the mold of like Bista village to attach to the stadium, I think, to the stadium, and we kind of talked about that before. Haven't you we? He mentioned mixed-use sports kind of yeah. facility, which again is, I think, what we'd all want. But does that make it harder to do? Because you've got to get the people. Who well, you've got to give something back to the community to go and do this yeah. and 
to not piss off the locals, essentially. The, yeah. There was a lot of talk by him about the university. Mm. I, I, this is just dragging things out that he mentioned. You almost wonder if there's some potential agreement around sports facilities for the university being attached to either a new stadium or within a deal, something. Maybe they get use of a pitch at the training ground on a regular basis or something um, be beyond just a single pitch, obviously. But th- th- there's clearly a good relationship with, with the university from all of, you know, Bakri, Tiger, Thahir, Horse Geiker, all of them. Um, outside of the football club, it, it would appear their businesses individually have dealings with the university in one way or another. Um, so there could there could be something in that. Just just to John's point on kind of length of time, I just dragged up how long it took Brentford to get their new stadium done. So they broke ground in March 2017. So obviously there'll have been years of planning prior to that, looking at it. It was completely agreed in April 16. And they opened it on September 2020. So about four years from planning being agreed. So to the point about our lease ends in 2026, we're very tight with that to be in a new stadium by the time the lease is up. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one kind of nervy aspect of it all for me. I heard um, Paul Peros from Oxfox go on one of the, the morning Radio Oxford chat and the, the guy asked Paul if he knew where it was going to be. But Paul did not divulge any information, understandably, given I think he said it's at a critical point and, you know, not push anything. But obviously the guy wasn't expecting an answer, I don't think. But maybe it's going to be attached to the universe. Maybe it'll be like where the Radcliffe camera is and they'll just knock that down or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know... Let's be pragmatic. We're knocking down everything, other things, statues, whatever. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing about all this, and this is not the preferred option, and I am i wouldn't want this to happen, but how does the Kassam play into all of this? Because if you're Kass, Firos Kassam, you've got a stadium that all right, needs some development generally because it's nearly 20 years old. But we've got a lease till 2026. At what point, he will have to then start thinking about what is he going to do with that stadium. I've no idea how much it costs to level a stadium. I don't know how much that land would be worth. I imagine a, a reasonable penny for residential, despite the commercial developments around it. Um, and the access and the access to the, the location is good, obviously. But is there a point where he blinks and says, okay, I'll sell you the stadium for this. And we go, okay, well, maybe we could build the four stand and do so. I'm not saying that's a good option, but there's a point where he's going to go, I've got a football stadium. Who's going to viably, what, who, there's no other team in the, for the foreseeable around who's going to want a stadium to do anything. There's what there's, That's got to be a dynamic to this all. Where, yeah. But if someone comes along, I mean, by, maybe people are listening have got an idea, but levelling it, and converting it into the permission to then turn it into residential or whatever, that's no easy task. But he's got to start doing that sort of thinking pretty soon. Or And he's got us over a barrel. If we have to go to, you know, 2025 and say, oh, could we have a couple more years? And he can go, I think no, we'd rather no, sooner play at Oxford City than do that, is the reality. 
Like even if but, it was, but the re- we, yeah, but our revenues would fall through the floor. Yeah, it's true. Well, that's yeah, that's probably a dumb thing to say. It'd be another stadium. Wouldn't just it? is did didn't Oxfox get the stadium classed as and this yeah. would be the wrong wording, but a community asset or something? Because I think that is right. Yeah, it's like a the, first refusal to yeah. Buy so I, but I don't know what happens to that. If we as a football club say we don't want it anymore, does yeah, that we just, changed our mind? Yeah, but does does that just void because there is no football club to play there, or does Kassam get stuck with an asset that is classed as a community asset for sport? And this is to John's point, forevermore. Like because no one, it's it'll be like Darlington. Darlington Football Club moved out of their huge twenty five thousand seat <laughs> stadium. Yeah, it's yeah. still there, and currently there's just a Saturday afternoon rugby league club. Uh, rugby union club playing in there in front of about 200 because it's cla- it was classed as a sporting thing and no one will ever take it. So, yeah, the whole exit situation, the oxit, as we'll call it, from the Kassam nice. is, uh, is uh, a bit of an unknown. And that, that's you, the, just, that's... you just came up with that, right? Yeah, yeah, of course did. Yeah, it's all a bit of a strange one. And that's the only slightly concerning thing, I think. Cool. Okay. Um, we'll have to so see. Final, final thing on this, sorry. I thought it was his language and I thought he was really pointed about linking the need to be in the championship and the stadium. It wasn't quite as we'll only do one when we get the other, but he really was ramping so it up. two years, didn't he? Two yeah. years together. Um, it was kind of like a, we'll do the stadium, but you're going to have to be in the championship. And I know that they're not, they don't, they're not interlinked because it's competitive, but... It was quite marked, I thought, the way he said it. Um, but anyway, that's fine. I'm still, something. I'd still be. Can you imagine the day? I remember being in the little, what was it called, the Manor Club, when they released images of Mintry Farm, as it was, and yeah. they were put on the wall, and you could go into that little club and get your chomp for 10p, and then you could see all the pictures of what the new stadium was going to be, and it was obviously for stands at that point. I just remember that feeling, even as a kid. Just being so excited, like, can you just? Well, that know. last game at the Manor was, you know, it was kind of like emotional, but then it was like new. This new land is now upon us, and then the first game at the Kassam was a bit of an anticlimax, I think, because we lost, and it was just sort of even that was kind of. But that was twenty years ago. It's, it's um. I just man. you just know for a fact though these with these guys it sounds like. They're, they're invested in the community as well, which means you just believe it will be done right. There won't be breeze blocks everywhere exposed on everything. You know, I just honestly think it would be so exciting. I'm just... They, um, they, they want something to show off to the world. Exactly. Uh, sort of kind of the first Indonesian club owner. I don't know if that was more Jerome pushing that line. I can't quite remember. But they seem to latched onto that. It's, yeah, I agree with you. This is, this is far more than like, how do we position... How do we yeah. deliver a stadium for a football team? And you've got to think these days it's always like a statement, like an architectural statement, isn't it? And when you look at the DC United thing that Four here did before, it's quite unique, that stadium. And that's another thing that I, I think is really exciting. And all the stuff around sustainability, no one, you know, and being carbon neutral, all of that stuff's excellent as well. So I, the thing is, I honestly don't feel I'm getting excited about it. I watched it and I just didn't feel much emotion just because I don't, I think part of me just still doesn't believe it. Until I see like some images of those 3D 
graphic. I know it's going to, I believe it's going to happen if I like talk to myself, but at the same time, it just, it's not, I don't know why I don't feel the emotional connection to the news. I think it's just because it's been lagging for so long. But I think that this takeover that has been kind of hanging around for, yeah, eight months or whatever it is now, it does feel a little bit different to previous takeovers. So obviously the Tiger from Eels, Eels kind of was on his way out for a while and Tiger had been seen in the tunnel area and allegedly funded the Brannigan deal, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But Eels came in from the middle of nowhere. If you remember that summer, it was just, right, we're taking over Eels, Ashton, Waddock's gone, Appleton's in. Prior to that, uh, Lennigan had taken over from Merry, who'd kind of just run off. And obviously Merry had come in and done the whole, I've saved the club from Kassam, but obviously and then Mary, left us with the ground issue. And yeah. Merry got the whole, oh, it's 13 million to buy the stadium figure out in the air. In, in the air. And then, yeah. But the, this, 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 this is the first takeover or group of directors who've actively or at least publicly given this kind of interview saying we're, we want to and we plan to build a new stadium. Everyone else has always been, oh, yeah, we'll try and buy the Kassam. Oh, Mr. Kassam's a bit hard to deal with. Oh, it's too expensive. Da, 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 da. Oh, we've got 10 years left on the lease. Oh, we've got five years left on the lease. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I, I think as football fans, we're always going to be wary because you see clubs all over the place kind of get these takeovers and things yeah. go south. But this does feel good. Final thing I'll say is he, he did say... Clay referenced back where he said close to the existing stadium at one point in the interview yeah, as well. Yeah. And maybe I latched onto it too much just for my want of uh, to us to get away from that area of Oxford. I know it's not the worst area in terms of transport and stuff, but I, I went, as you guys saw, I went down to Oxford for the first time in a while um, last week. And I saw, I walked past where the manor was with the the good old shark poking out the roof and went past the shell garage and whatever. And it feel, it just felt weird. But what I loved is that it's just part of in Oxford, you know, it's part of Oxford. You can walk from town, you know, it's just, I'm so desperate for it to be somewhere that's accessible is the main thing. And also is a decent place for away fans to travel to um, is another thing as well. I hate what York of York have just done a similar thing at, north of the city in a retail park it's just whilst the community side of it's good it's, it's next to like an MS food thing and it's all just a bit weird um but mate you know we'll see where we get to um transfer stuff then which one of you dropped notes in jack it was actually john actually wow i'm so impressed i do i drop notes i drop notes all the time um no, I just thought it was, I mean, it was the fact that KR had talked about it. We are obviously in November and there's time to, to go, but he was talking, you know, direct quotes around sort of top teams in this league. When you're doing well, you have to you have to jump, you have to move forward steadily. But he was implying that they were starting to get serious about the transfer window already. Um, and he made some really interesting points around strikers because he effectively said, we are going to look to strengthen with... Winnell and Adji, the only backups available for Taylor. And he was talking about how strikers don't often come in and, according to our research department, don't come in and actually make that much impact or score that many goals. Um, yeah, I, I heard um, maybe it was Kinneborough or Jerome. On the, What I listened to wasn't at the game um, after Morecambe. And they were saying that, actually, I think it was Jerome. He said, 
strikers signed in January make the smallest impact at any point in time. It doesn't really work. But then they went on to discuss like the impacts of Jordan Bowery um, in our promotion season and talked about, I think it was goals at Wimbledon and the Pompey away one and stuff like that. And then Kinneba went on to say, um, you know, it's not even a gamble to go and get, uh, try and get like a relative big hitter to back up Matty Taylor. Um, because, you know, similar to what Jack, you were saying about Bakri saying, two years to get to the championship if if the form continues how it is and we're kind of a top we're always around flirting around the top six then I don't think it is just get some loose loose kind of um potential young loan move from the premiership who's got no um senior minutes it's a get someone that's actually proven get the Morecambe guy um just sit him down on the bench. He right? won't. He won't be cheap. <laughs> I know, but like it's. I, I, I understand. Have a season like it again. <laughs> I know. I know. But like, I see what Kinnebra was kind of getting at. Is like, it's is it a, even so much a gamble at this point when if your if your form is good and you've got a good position in the league, there might be a little bit of expectation management. But I think a striker is an absolute fair get. Winnall seems to have disappeared beyond. Is he you know, injured? I don't. I don't even know. And Aji's had quite a few chances now. I am. I got went down a bit of a wormhole looking at winter signings over the last few years, and I'm not doing this just to disprove what KR. I'm excited said. for this. But like, if you look at last season, we got Elliot Lee and Brandon Barker and Obita in, and this is this is done on a winter signing. So Where I'm did not... Barker go? Sorry, just before I forget. This still season, still the Rangers. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Is he playing? Yeah, no. Oh, and Lee's, Lee's at Charlton. Yeah. So I'm assuming most of these are sort of January time. Year before that, Holland, Brown, and Kelly. Year before that, John T. Smith and Jerome Sinclair. John T. Now, Smith, legend. Jerome Sinclair, Jerome Sinclair, you can argue, did have much of an impact. Probably not. The year before didn't that. He score, I, didn't he score that goal away at. Where was yeah, it? well, that's the War- thing. Warsaw? Warsaw, yeah, yeah. He scored that goal, which was critical. But yeah. then in the games before that, he missed countless easy chances um the year before that 1718 was buckley ricketts and ashley smith brown oh, i love those two i just still we, dream about them yeah we did obviously they're not strikers um we did also sign brannigan and dickey that window um but then yeah 1617 mccallany and martinez big impact you'd argue decent yeah bowery we've obviously talked about and then i went back beyond that so in 97-98, we signed Kevin Francis and, <laughs> and O'Neill Donaldson, both who had big impacts that season. And obviously, you're a big Kevin Francis fan, James. So, uh, mm. you know, year before that, Gabbiadini came in. Gabbiadini, Marco Gabby, We signed him from Derby or something. I remember him. Uh, oh, no, maybe like he, he was famous for Derby, wasn't he? I think possibly. I mean, this is all off one website. So if someone's looking at this screaming, no, no, we signed them then, you know, just, just bear with me. Year before that, in the, well, in November, we signed Beecham back from Swindon in 95. Who? Night. Yeah, who? Ha <laughs> Beauchamp. Beauchamp. <laughs> Who's he? Um, 93, 94, we signed Paul Moody and Johnny Burton. Um, 88, 89, John Dernan and Paul Simpson. How far are you going back, John? I mean, to really right, to... Just, just to 52, just to 52. <laughs> I've got plenty of, plenty of time. 1926, um, we signed. And finally, like 86, 87, Saunders, Whitehurst and 
Martin Fall. Now they're all winter signing, so I don't, they may not be January the first, and transfer windows have moved and all that sort of stuff. But I don't know. I just got sucked into a sort of nostalgia <laughs> wormhole of nostalgia. Yeah, I mean, I January there's signings. no point. There's no point really being made, but clearly there is impact to be had from strikers brought in, and we've got to go down that route. Surely, I think Aji and Win will just have to go, and then you get. Yeah. You get one solid. You and Chaos talked about Gavin White playing for down the middle, and White can't even get a place on the wing at the moment. But I still believe he could play that role as a third striker if you so needed it. So if you get one really solid, like central striker backup for Taylor, who's actually got experience, um, you know, like someone like I know Brett Pittman. I don't mean Brett Brett Pittman, but he's still scoring goals in League Two. But it's that type of player that if you could get that type of person to back up Matt Taylor, um, it wouldn't be yeah. a bad... In that we th- thought we were signing Sam Winnell. Yeah, I, I know. Well, it's, that's fair. Do you know what? It is fair. I, he, On paper, it's it's exactly what you want, isn't it? I mean, the it's strange, isn't it? Because the, na- the named backup for Taylor, and granted Taylor's got, what, six goals, he started every game. But you look at Adjus made nine sub appearances in the league this year and not scored. Winnell started twice and made three sub appearances and not scored. As you say, White's not scored yet and can't get a place on the wing. So the striker is the clear, clear void that we need. But I, we're not going to go out and spend five hundred thousand on a striker because by default, then they almost need to become the number one. But equally, if we go out and sign an eighteen-year-old on loan from Everton, you've you've got to re- you've got to accept they'll be hit and miss, like a Martinez was. Um, you might yeah, get a Macalaney who comes in and scores ten goals in twenty-five games or whatever it was. But or, um, or a Kevin Francis, or or, or a Kevin Francis. Um, but I I don't I just don't think it would. Because and because of the system we play, I just don't think we're going to go and spend big or any money particularly on a proven striker because it they just won't play. Yeah, no, I agree. Taylor's seen this is the best I've seen Taylor play consistently. I'd say as well. Absolutely, at the moment, we're just going to have to get lucky that there's a striker out there who probably should be in a team is slightly off form and is kind of fallen into fourth choice type position. And somebody says, yeah, you can go for a month. We're just gonna have to get lucky and everyone will be looking for that player. Um, yeah. But see where we go. Um, do you want to talk us through low moves and youth players, John? Yeah. I mean, there's just um, some interesting moves. Chambers, Perillion's gone out to Haven and Waterlooville, um, which is a second loan. I think again, Hasn't Entire... someone else got... Oh, no, it was Hazen Yedding, which is literally yeah. the next thing you're going to say. Yeah, but you can say it if you want. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Tyler Tyler Goodrum, who's seen, who, I mean, video clips, and they can t- tell you just different stories, but it, has, it seems like he's doing really well there, not only scoring good goals, but, you know, sort of cementing that he can do it at that level. I think his next move, hopefully he can get a League Two club. Possibly. He spoke really well, and he seems to have a really good attitude, so I hope he does well. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I don't know where some of the sort of Spazovs and Lopez's have ended up. Jack, you probably know better than me. I think you've added to the notes from here, actually. So, Well, yeah, I was going to say Spazov's an interesting one because he had quite a bit of 
hope around him. And he, he was on loan at Woking last year, got injured, had surgery, etc. But he played a few games in pre-season and for the under-21s, but he's not been mentioned. He's not got in the pizza trophy squads. He's not gone out on loan. He did a right at Woking, didn't he? Him, yeah, he was him doing okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, because uh, it's um, Odonkor that keeps getting in, doesn't he, as the striking, kind of young striker coming through now. The, those who are a little bit older yeah. seem to have fallen by the wayside a little bit. Yeah. And, um, John, I noticed you put something in around, well, one of you did, Rob Hall. That goal um, for Barnett late on in the game to win it for them. It was it was nice, wasn't it, seeing that? Yeah, um, I mean, it's look it up, look it up if you haven't seen yeah. it. It's um, it's a quality sort of volleyed finish, and you know if it's nice for him. Hopefully, that puts him in the shot window for a league move. It's nice to see the kind of few players on social media. I think I saw Sam Long kind of all over it, and there's still that connection. Obviously, it was all a bit weird as to sort of him leaving, which you know he should have left. But I never really understood the whole "we'll give him a deal" type chat. I think that yeah. was. Just, loose words or something but the point is it's just sort of that connection will last forever and that was a sort of he did something we know he can do and now others will see it so just good to see them yeah well done Robbie right let's talk about some football so let's start with the Wednesday game then um so we took what over 2,000 or 2,000 ish fans there it was one and I remember we talked about it in the preview where we were saying like what what are the scalps that we've actually taken of late, like away from home? And we we talked a bit about, I think, like Pompey away and whether that kind of counted. Bolton away was the one that came to mind. But I forgot. I think I forgot to mention the Ipswich away game when we beat them 1-0, which was definitely up there, wasn't it? Uh, but this was just, I think the whole way the game played out, Jack, was just when that goal went in, when Henry and none of us knew how it went in behind the goal, um, but when it, I've just those those limbs, those scenes, the shins being destroyed. Um, what's the lad who lived down in Brighton, George? George Fryer. George Fryer was just mounted all the seats and was just running on the top of all of the seats alongside and kind of just trying to jump on everyone's shoulders. Um, the whole thing was just uh, pandemonium. I loved it so much. The thing was, as well, it was deserved because we played oh, yeah. so well for the first probably 30, 35 minutes. We were on top. We'd had chances. Um, we really took it to them. And you would talk about the whole scalp thing. It, it wasn't a, oh, we shit, I was a late winner and nicked a win at Hillsborough. It was, we deserved to win the game. A draw yeah. would have been incredibly frustrating, especially with a couple of chances that we did miss. Um in the second half, the, t- the Taylor one springs Ta- to mind. Definitely the Taylor one. There was another, there was a header as well, wasn't there? I don't... Yeah, I think so. But yeah, it was just deserved. And to, to watch us play like that and take it to this kind of household name, Sheffield Wednesday, and all the expectation that they have, and actually just thoroughly look like we were arguably, you know, the big club taking on a, a kind of plucky, plucky little club kind of thing. Um, that made it an even kind of bigger scalp for me because we just thoroughly deserved it. And and John, they had like Dunkley, Shadipo, Johnson all starting, didn't they? And so you kind of looked at it all and you're like, oh, this is written that it's going to be a tough day for us. But 
I think Johnson yeah. was at fault when Brannigan went flying through to get the first goal as well. He was. I mean, he did, he did set up their goal. I mean, Dunkley kind of, he looked like the player, when we first signed Dunkley, I was never sure about him for months and months. And he looked like that player who kind of like static, wrong-footed, and just sort of didn't seem to know how to play the team he was playing against. But as you were saying, Jack, it's like for the first 40 minutes and beyond, I thought Gorin and Kane were absolutely immense. Nothing came through the middle. And we think how many times teams find a way just to carve us through the middle. They just looked like a team who were like, we don't know how to play against this lot. We yeah. Can, we, they got down the sides a couple of times, and that was mainly just Holland being a bit lazy. Um, but they had just no idea what to do at all. And then Herbie Kane was just, whether he had the ball 80 yards from their goal or 40 or 10, made a, made a decent pass every single time. I really liked those two in the middle. And then the whole, the whole rest of the team was just on it. And then the second half, the mentality from like 70 minutes onwards, where, you know, I think we started, the belief started to wane a little bit and we just kept it going through. It was just fantastic, really. And I met up with a few, one of my friends who's a Sheffield Wednesday fan afterwards, and he was giving it the whole like, that was your Wembley, that was your Wembley, wasn't it? And I was like, and I was like our old Wembley, maybe, but we've got new targets I, now. I definitely, yeah, Jack, you make a good point on that. It, it was so nice to go to somewhere like that and actually because you know when we drew one all at Sunderland I always felt like the game was we we never quite had the grasp of the game in any of those um whereas actually when it went to one all yes Wednesday probably looked a little bit more dangerous but our fans were still massively behind them and we were still creating chances and you couldn't really see which way it was going to go but yeah amazing and I did the one thing I kept noticing in that game though, and John, you referred to it there, like Holland's Holland's obviously been doing well of late, but in that game particularly, he was really struggling to track back. And so they did keep like pummeling down um that which side would it have been? <laughs> was it their right? I their think it right. was their right, wasn't it? Yeah. He was playing on the left. And yeah. they they just kept on getting in again and again and again. Like but whereas of recent weeks he's definitely improved that side of his game. Um, to back the full back up so that's one to keep note of um, so yeah obviously incredible that's that's up there in the memory banks for, for a lifetime I think I think just the, the last thing to mention on Sheffield Wednesday because from a ex-goalkeeper at junior football level Jack Stevens' touch on Bannon's oh, shot yeah. in the last oh, yeah. minute was you know Hen- Henry got the plaudits for the, nicking the goal but that that touch was vital because if we'd have conceded a volley from 40 yards that swerved a hundred times and then went in in the top corner and even later than the 93rd minute it would have been absolutely devastating all game as well actually because it was raining like we couldn't Mm. really see as much like there were quite a few like hard bounces he never messed up his touch or catch he was actually yeah no it's a really good chance beyond the Bannon thing as well for sure um so we then had the game postponed against Sunderland. Then we played Plymouth at home was our next league game. We had an incredible start, Taylor getting a goal early on. But then that Garrick guy just ripped us apart from memory um, for the rest of that first half especially. And then um, the other guy got a couple of goals. So they went in two one at half time. They deserved probably... Actually, I'm not sure they did because didn't we have 20 minutes after half time against Plymouth where we just absolutely beat the crap out of them, but we just couldn't find the net. 
and then you knew didn't you that it wasn't going to be our day when we just couldn't score I mean we definitely took the sting out of it I think for me that whole Plymouth game was and a lot of people were like kind of no no it was a great performance it just didn't go in and and there is you've got to kind of sign up that to a degree to me there was a little bit of naivety in that we were playing against a team who were clearly really well coached. They had no sort of superstars, but they had a really established way of playing. And we didn't think, no, we actually can't out-football these. They're actually on really good form. We just need to play a little bit differently and kind of just stop them a little bit. Yeah. There were times where they were just sort of slicing through us. And their their third goal, for example, was just embarrassing. But even so in the first half, they kind of were getting space and their players were untroubled and we were just kind of ball watching it felt like the entire time. We were just two seconds behind the pace each time and Elliot Moore's defending was obviously appalling for their second goal, I think it was. Um, to me, it was a sort of a, a marker of, again, it's this whole sort of only playing our way. Where's the sort of adaptation to what's in front of us? But as we rattle through these games there's clear positives as to how we've kind of got got over that in places for some of the more recent victories. It was quite a weird one though, just for the sake of having that much. And I think, um, oh God, what's the manager called? Ryan Lowe. Yeah. yeah, Ryan Lowe afterwards in the post-match was saying, it's not often you'll come up against that level of sustained pressure anywhere in a way. And so he did heavily compliment us and then was obviously delighted with the win as a result. Was it you, James, was saying you don't think they'll Plymouth will be there come the end of the season? I swear it was either you or someone else was saying that's you know it's the same as Connor. <laughs> yeah, I, but there, there was something about that though that that the way they play could they could run out of steam. I don't um, know those players that I I honestly was so impressed with some of their like attacking play and the guy that got their two goals was it Camera. He was he was like a defensive midfielder, like arriving late, wasn't he? It's like, um, but some of their attacking play I thought was excellent. And then um, they've gone on. They're still, you know, they're f- smashing it with their form, aren't they? They had that hilarious um, Benny Hill moment, didn't they, in the rain the other day? I think someone oh, shared yeah. it. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, just, I don't know, search rain and Plymouth or something. Um, Slow yeah. moving ball. <laughs> I like to be honest. I I really I've got a lot of time for Plymouth um, as a club, and they sold out the away end again, didn't they? Um, yeah. So you know, fair play to them. Good on. I them. think I think the only thing with Plymouth is their their starting squads fairly small. I'm just looking here, and they've only really used 13 players or so. So if they pick up a few injuries, then then they might begin to struggle. Yeah. But that I you know that 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 could happen to us as well. So. So we then played, um, we went in, you know, quick game on Tuesday night so we could quickly recover. But that Shrewsbury at home game, the first half was not pretty. Um, you if were getting I'm, angry. I was very upset. But <laughs> it was it was extremely frustrating. And um, they just, John, I remember, they, weren't they wearing that horrible, like, pink shirt that you kept commenting on? And then, Yeah, um, if, you, if you're going to do pink shirt, it's got to be a nice light pink <laughs> A la, like Palermo salmon, yeah, salmon pink. It's got to be done like that. I mean, this is like this is the point I kind of mentioned earlier about progression. This was a classic for me. Team turns up, sits in a couple of banks of players, stifles us, 
and says, yeah, you can play in a 4-3-3 and we'll let Gorin have the ball. And Kane and Brannigan were pushed in between the lines with their backs to goal. Didn't want it there. And I, don't, I think Kane was non-existent for quite a lot of that game. And it was this whole sort of, how do we find a way to just go, right, if you're going to turn up and play like this, we're going to do this to you. And I think all of the first half set pieces were poor. It was only really Gavin White kind of went at, finally went at some defenders down the left-hand side, I remember, and kind yeah. of made something happen. There were some bits like that, but they just looked like they wanted it a little bit more and were just sticking to their plan, which was very defensive. And it was just, we've seen this game countless times. That's yeah. what I remember saying it, over and over again. And it was so important, Jack, to get that goal the Sykes goal so early in the second half to kind of open it up a little bit. Well, yeah, that that, that was the best thing we did, did in the game was to score, was it 46-47? Yeah. Um, and it meant then that their plan to continue to frustrate us had to change if they wanted to get anything out of the game. Um, I'm just looking, I've, I've scribbled kind of a one-word sentence for each game that we're discussing and, and for Shrewsbury I've just put hard work, as in it was just hard work to drag out, drag out the points, but and we'll we'll go on to talk about Burton and Morecambe, but I think we've seen the Shrewsbury Burton Morecambe games three different ways of us winning a game, um, which is incredibly positive um, for the rest of the season. And we are starting to show that we can eke out a result against those sides that aren't interested in attempting to take us on. Whereas in certainly in KR's initial early days with us if if a team sat in that was it we weren't scoring we weren't we weren't gonna take anything from the game so yeah what was um Sykes's goal does anyone remember it he's he's it doing the, he's actually scoring cross, a few now it was the cross that well kind of he whipped it in from the left oh, hand oh yeah and he just yeah. went in he just went through a crowd of players and went in I mean he was I mean again Sykes is something I'm sure we'll mention quite a few times over the next five minutes or so he was the best player on the pitch by a mile and it was probably the only one you could have gone man of the match for. Um, but it was a lucky goal. Taylor, no, Taylor, to be fair, was, again, playing in a much better way than as before. And then yeah. Brannigan, decent goal. And he's, he's he started scoring as well, which reflects being higher at the pitch, I guess. But, yeah, I think hard work's a good way of concluding For it. sure. And then me and Ben went to Ben. Remember Ben? Has Ben done a pod with us this season? <laughs> I don't, know. I don't think Check he the has. Register. Check the register. Yeah, but he, me, and Ben went to Burton away. Um, I have been, whilst we're on Ben, I don't think we've been able to talk about this on the pod. So when we played Wednesday away, we obviously we met up in the tap at the Sheffield Station, right? Brett Ben came. It was cold. He came in only an Oxford shirt, and then on the tap door, it just said no colours. You know, like no football colours. So Ben had no choice but to take his Oxford shirt off and expose what I can only describe as a wife beater vest um, <laughs> <laughs> underneath it. And then, um, so he was just walking around the tap at like midday with um, his white vest on, which I thought was excellent. But then he didn't learn from that. And then Burton away, it was cold again, just wearing his shirt again. Do you know what? Fair play to the guy. He's got, you know, he's hardy. I don't know how else to describe him. Um. And he's, he's not here to defend himself. So uh... no, or Ben, if you if you're listening, then next time you're on, you need to needs to prepare. But fair play to Ben. He you know likes likes the cold clearly. But Burton away was honestly, I don't remember us. You know, we talked about how we dominated the game at Wednesday. 
when if someone asked me for a prediction I, or a result, I'd, I would have taken a point because it's a difficult place to go. Hasselbank's got them playing pretty well and they kind of came off form a little bit. But at the same time, we just absolutely dominated them from start to finish. And we just looked like they were two leagues below us and it was like a first round FA Cup tie. But did either of you catch catch the game or watch it or listen? I... I've caught the extended highlights um, and my, my summing up for this game, I've just written drool. Um, I think oh, hashtag being, John. Hashtag John. Yeah. Being based in Derby as well, I've spoken to a few kind of floating Derby fans who go to Burton and they were there that day and they just said our midfield for League One level was just incredible. They were raving about Kane, raving about Brannigan um, and they just said, we just looked such a good side which is always nice when you hear neutrals say that as well, because sometimes I think you can easily get carried away when you think it's a good performance, but when kind of non-League One interested people are backing that up as well, it's really good to hear. Absolutely. It was was a nice... um, So I was on, wasn't at the game after after that game, and it was a nice... It was nicer to do victories than than slaughter losses on on that programme, definitely. But, I mean, the thing is... The intricacy of the play down the right-hand side for me was just Sykes, Henry and Long, particularly Sykes, were just manoeuvring and manipulating the ball in like what looked like such small spaces and creating countless chances. I mean, I remember Brannigan getting played through by this sort of outside-of-the-boot ball by Sykes that was just, you know... That, yeah, that was such a shame. That would have been beautiful. They, they were chances you like, back to me sort of moaning about us missing big chances. Um that was one I was like, that needs to go in. wasn't an issue for the rest of the game. Um, Kane and Brannigan were, were dominating in the pitch, almost like some sort of 50 yards point of the pitch. Like There was like this huge space behind us, but it didn't matter because Burton were never going to get into it. Um, I mean, they, they looked really laboured and were really poor and looked completely off the pace. They looked almost, almost as bad as that time when we beat them 5-1. And that's not to take anything away from us, but I don't know what it looked like behind the goal. What they, but they just, they just looked like they had sort of no, well, they had like no an- idea. They had yeah. no intensity and no answer yeah. to what we were doing. And you could Holland cut in a couple of times and probably should have worked the keeper a bit more. And there was there was countless other chances as well. We were we were just absolutely dominant. It was it was one of them where when they scored, I wasn't, I, I didn't believe that they would you know, they would do us in. I was more confident we'd get another goal just based on how the game was going. That's quite a weird thing to say as an Oxford fan. Like, I mean, that, that, I mean the vibe, the vibe in the stadium, if that was what the vibe in the stadium was like, it, it definitely was that watching from afar. You were just like, not worried about this at all, really. We kept creating chances. Like, Taylor was just sort of, and again, he's he's just sort of developed this side of this game and I put it down to, have knowing that Kane and Henry are just on form and can give him so many different options to to play with. And, you know, he can make those runs and know that something's going to happen. And he's kind of incentivized to really get into the centre-halves, which he seems to be doing as well. He's getting a lot of those goals as well at the moment, Taylor, isn't he? Where he's he's making that run on the last man and he's getting played through. And his finishing at the moment is like pinpoint every time, whether it's a dink or a slotted finish. And that was within, what, like 20 seconds or something ridiculous in that game. The Dinkosaurus <laughs> at, the, at the moment. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of... So partridge. <laughs> yeah. Just an all-round kind of performance, really. And Holland kind of finally kind of arrived as well in that in that game. I, I was still giving... Being completely honest, I, I'm i quite fickle when I'm at the games. You can say, no, James. But there is, I, I often will stare at certain players when I'm not thinking they're doing what I expect of them. And Holland, like this season, I was convinced at one point that he hadn't he was still a bit too lightweight for a winger in this in this at this level. And so if you've got certain fullbacks that want to get into him, it's gonna upset him and he's he's not gonna have a good time of it. But actually he's re- the last few games he's been one of our best players and he's probably gonna end up being one of the first on the team sheet. And if anyone said to any of us, Gavin White or Holland, like who's gonna get the most minutes, you'd never have thought it was this way round. But do you do you think either of you that like the thing that's in my head is I feel like Gavin White's peak at this level in his career if he was getting the regular minutes and whatever else would be more than Holland's peak but we're never gonna see I don't know it's maybe that's not a fair statement but um it feels weird not like having Gavin White and then not letting him find his form um but it's understandable based on how the team's playing and how Holland's been doing in recent weeks it's, it's an interesting one because Gavin White's a couple of years older than Nathan Holland and obviously played kind of a lot of men's football, if you like, in Northern Ireland, granted not full-time professional. Whereas Holland, his only ever kind of break away from West Ham has been with us. So he's still, not, I'm just looking now, he's still not started 20 league games in his career. So he's very much learning. Like He's played less games in his career than White did in one season for us before we sold him to Cardiff. Um, So I think this is kind of, I think it might have been Carl Robinson who said this, this is kind of Nathan Holland's breakthrough season. He's got to make something of this season for him to ensure he has a career at a good level. Um, But I agree on your point about White. He looks a world away from that player that we sold for a couple of million or whatever it was to Cardiff. He looks quite short of confidence at the minute. Yeah, well, I I don't understand with with why, and he's obviously a known quantity now. So a lot of defenders will know. Don't give him loads of space down the line to run into. But even so, I think I can count on one hand the amount of times. Sometimes you just need to be this simple. He's just knocked and run. I don't think he's done that that many times. And I don't mind if he loses the ball three out of five of those times he does it because he will move players out of position. And then other people will be free. Henry will be free to have a crack or whatever. Um, he doesn't seem, he just seems to be back to goal quite a lot. And then sometimes we will put him in as a number 10 and it's like, just stick him out. You know, your phrase you used in the past, James, like chalk on the line or whatever it is, chalk on the boots. Mm-hmm. Just go and do that. And I'm sure teams will be very like aware. Don't let him do that. But we need to find the ways to, get the ball into him to, to let him do that. And Holland was Holland doesn't necessarily do that, but he manipulates the pitch in, in a way to, to be able yeah. to get the space to dribble. Um they're different I, players, but it's just it staggers me and I, I don't know the answer to it. I expected, you know, when we kind of looked at starting elevens on paper before the season started, I'd have had Holland and White on the wings um flanking Taylor. And I think isn't that how we started we definitely started like that in one of the early games, um, and I, I thought that's how it would continue. It. I think we've only started with it once, possibly. 
But there was um, definitely a game. Uh, maybe it wasn't Cambridge, but we it def we definitely played with those two flanking Matty at one point. And then I thought, okay, that's probably what we're going to end up going with. Holland's form dipped a bit, like straight away, or he wasn't finding his feet, it seemed. And then White's found his way out as well. But I don't think anyone, you know, I, I'd like to have said, I did say Sykes. Like I've always said, he's got that, he's got something, hasn't he? But we just never really had the belief with all the players around him that he was going to get the minutes to find it. So credit to him. He's really. Um, He's really, you know, turned it around. And that's a player that KR was kind of shooing out of the team last season. We have to remember that. He was like frozen out alongside Aji, wasn't he, at one point? So he's done a brilliant job to come back into the fold how he has. And he's now... You had a good stat, didn't you, Jack, around Sykes' kind of goal return. And obviously he's got another one um, on Saturday, albeit it was probably scored with his nipple or something. I don't know how it quite went in, but... Yeah, I think it was after he'd scored against Shrewsbury, he'd got three goals in 14, having prior to that got three goals in 81. 81, that was it. And obviously, yeah. he's now on to four in 16 or whatever it'll be. So, we, But yeah, how many times have we said, if he adds goals to his game, then he becomes a different player. Um, and we're starting to see that now. Yeah. Um. Between, uh, obviously, the Burton game and Morecambe, we played Spurs under-21s. We don't usually talk about this competition, but it's probably worth mentioning Cooper got a couple of goals. Um, I don't really think it means anything to us, as in he's so far... You know, we're talking about Gavin White not getting a space on the pitch. So it's good that Cooper's getting some minutes and stuff, but is he? he's not going mean, to get any time in the team. Was he ever... I mean, to me, he was kind of like... He would want him to come train with us and then go out on loan. I've never really kind of viewed him as like would have been near the first team unless he just had a very raw way of playing that delivered results. When we signed him though, it was like he was going to be a Gavin White type. That was the ambition, wasn't it? At least us as fans talked about it in that way. Having the last two come in been such a success. Well, and if, if, if anything, Cooper had been the biggest success in Northern Ireland... Um, but I mean, he only played four games before he had to go back to to Linfield on loan, wasn't it, for family reasons? So, I think I think he's one of, and we've said we've talked about why. There's also Bowden. We we talked that we kind of joked about our KR loves a winger, but at the minute we've arguably got two or three wingers who are certainly with Cooper not worth us having around because he's not going to get game time now. We're out of the pizza trophy, so you assume he goes at least on loan in January. Yeah. McNally's another interesting one, isn't he? Um, he likes to get sent off in the competition <laughs> by the looks of it, but um, he really looked like he he was going to be challenging one of Thornley or more for more regular starts in the league. Has he, has he been injured though as part of anything or is he just, do we think now Thornley and more are just a partnership? I'm guessing that's just going to be the case. He, he was one of the the COVID sufferers, um, but I think yeah, he, I think he was always brought in as the third as the third centre back um, with Moose being you know emergency cover. Yeah. Um, so if if one of them were to get a long term injury, I don't think that KR would have any issue putting McNally in. Um, but obviously, he hasn't been getting on the bench. But I assume that's kind of from a 
well, Sam Long could go centre-back and four could go right-back kind of approach more than a slight against McNally. Yeah. Um, and then to finish up, obviously the game on Saturday, Morecambe, it was very up and down, this this match. I think you probably... tell. I, I think some of you... I don't know, John, were you watching it? I, I watched it with um, a couple of guys in the end, but um, it was it was just a strange one because... We started so well, looked progressive on the front foot. Seddon um, obviously scored a goal. I thought, what was it from? It was from a corner, I think, which was amazing in itself after a Mo- Elliot Moore had kind of won one of the headers. But then we just kind of ended the half all right. Morecambe started the second half looking pretty strong and they, they actually looked pretty good the whole way through the game. But I wasn't impressed with Stockton whatsoever. It's like the ball got to him. He just shot from wherever he was. It was like, if you've got a mate that's on FIFA, that's just, just doesn't understand the buttons. Um, but then he proved his worth. And what was his like 14th, 13th, 14th goal of the season? It's unbelievable, that finish. Um, he's just having one of those seasons. But I think then at that point, Jack, I remember you were out and then you got back and you were wondering whether you should follow the game and you were looking at the WhatsApp chat between the Yorkshire Yellows and you're like, maybe I'll give it a miss because it did seem like the game was probably turning that way. And obviously Henry decided he would forget how to take a penalty. Um, and then you just think think the worst as well is going to happen. But credit to us. Um, kept going, got the goal and then Taylor's finish is just, um, again, like we said, give him a chance and he'll Dinkosaurus his way to to three points. It seriously bugs me that style of penalty taking, whether it's James Henry or Paul Pogba or whoever like not scoring. Well not well yeah, <laughs> but he, he obviously scored the one against Burton. But that sort of like slow, stalled run up. Like Jorginho can do it. Everyone else is just too much of a risk because they just don't bother doing it. Like and that's it's just sort of you just never expect James Henry to sky a penalty. You'd expect him just to blast it and it'd be potentially be saved because he has missed them in in the past. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I didn't catch as much of this this game. I think I just took from it that it's another team that could turn up and will know how to play against us. Will have a slightly more progressive game plan than most, and they're a useful team. But we found a way to actually win quite convincingly and create a lot of chances and not get stuck into that sort of the defence has the ball, passes it across the sides, Goran takes it off, drops in around. Like it just had a feel of like we've moved on from from that. And a lot of players are on form and that definitely helps. Um but it's just finding that ability to go actually, no, we're a team that's going for automatics, top playoffs. We will win against this team at home. And you need to come up. You need to be more ambitious because otherwise we'll win. And that's what we need to get to. It's the resilience um, and scoring somewhat early. I think the point I made on wasn't that the game is that disrupts teams who I think a lot of teams know how to play against us. If we score early, then it goes out the window, and that's why we need to just try and do. And that sounds a really obvious thing. Let's score early, but it's so critical to changing the the direction of some of these games. But haven't we scored early in? like most of our games and gone on we've, to then we've scored first we've scored first i think in a lot was the point yeah. isn't there made, a, we haven't scored early isn't there a stat that we've well, we're yet to equalize in a game this season i think i read sounds like so a we've e- something like that um it was, 
Go on, Jack. Sorry, no, and I, I was <laughs> going to say there was, there was another stat um, which probably slightly contradicts our kind of point we make about teams that come and make it hard for us. Um, going back, I think it's two and a half seasons because of the COVID cut short one. We've played something like 26 games against teams, sorry, 26 games at home against teams who finish in the bottom half at the end of those seasons. And we've won 24 of them. Wow. Average, averaging something like 2.8 points per game or whatever it is. So we all know the the bigger struggle we have is beating teams in and around us. Um, but I think, yeah, that we've just had three victories that hard work against Shrewsbury, brilliant against Burton and kind of job done fairly well against Morecambe. And we're, we're showing a lot more um, about ourselves this year. I suppose sure. it's will it will it take us? Say, yeah, it's a fair point that we're winning with we're winning those games eventually. I bet a lot of them are like we scored in the like seventieth minute, and that was the first goal. I guess it's taking us to a next level as a team to then start beating those top teams. If we can be dispatching these teams quicker, and then that momentum builds up. I mean, I'm sure the players a win to them is a win, and they're not. It doesn't change them too much. But for me, it's well it would be that step change in the team. Well, the next four games in the league, Ipswich away, which looks like it's going to happen, then Wigan away, and then Fleetwood, who have still, like, whilst they don't seem like quite the same team, are still causing... Well, I know they're in the they're in the bottom four, aren't they, or whatever. But they were causing, like, Wigan some problems last night. And so you never know what you're going to get there. Um, but that is at home. Then Rotherham, who obviously smashed... Um, Sunderland, what five one the other day, and then, well, how did they? Did they playing last night? Oh yeah, Charlton equalised late on, didn't they? Um, so Rotherham are up there. So we've got again, Ipswich away, Wigan away, then Fleetwood at home, Rotherham at home, and that's November for us. So if we come out of that, what do you reckon is a reasonable target to come out of those games? Seven, eight points. I was going to say oh, 10. 10, okay. I mean, I'll take 10. I'll be all right. Ipswich and then Wigan away. I think if you beat Ipswich away, you're you're enjoying, you're loving that trip to Wigan, like with the pressure. I suppose there's not really much pressure on us right now anyway, but... I was about this earlier though, like you can, you can think, let's go into these games with no pressure on us, but then we need to turn that around and say, no, actually, if we're going to go and yeah. do something... We need to put pressure on ourselves to win some of these, which is, which is kind of why I'm saying 10 points is what we want to be aiming for. That is massively ambitious, and seven and eight is probably far more sensible. Um, but for me, like Rotherham at home is is the free is the free hit to us. Um, Fleetwood at home that should be a win. Then Doncaster away should want to go and win that, and then you take a big win from. Wigan or Ipswich, draw the other one, that gets you to 10. <laughs> there you go. Thanks. Probably, thanks. <laughs> the mass is probably terrible in that. I, but. Yeah, I, I think Ipswich is the one where you say this is the kind of game that you want to go and win that we haven't done in previous seasons. Although... Apart from that 1-0 that we talked about. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the yeah. context of the team who are in ninth and chasing us in, in, in that kind of playoff mix... Although saying that Ipswich are banging form after a terrible start, um, did we win at Wigan last season? I think we did. 
Okay. Was it, no, no, they came down. It would have been two seasons ago. Wouldn't yeah, it? we want, got, we want. Didn't we win that game doors, though? Because what's his, my favorite player, Sean Clare, got a really good assist away at Wigan, and we came, I think we came back, but they were in dire straits, weren't they, at that time? I think we won. Yes, we were in the orange yeah. kit. I think we won two one. Yeah, yeah, that rings a bell. Can you check it? I want to know. We'll put some yeah. lift music on for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, th- I think, yeah, I, I agree the Rotherham one, I think Rotherham are the best team in the league. I mean, they, they have this kind of ability of bouncing between the Championship and League One, a bit a bit like Barnsley do as well. Um, so I think, you, yeah, you probably highlight that one as one where, where, we, where we lose points. Um, you'd would hope that Fleetwood and Doncaster are fairly routine, though if Donny continue to be as bad for another few games before we play them, they could well have a new manager, etc. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's fair. Um, right, God, we've been over an hour, but I suppose we haven't done a pod for a while, so it's fine. Um, just before we talk very briefly about the game um, against Rovers in the FA Cup first round, I've got a very brief FA Cup quiz. Quick fire, are you guys ready? No. Yes. Okay, well, I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. Right, what I'm going to give you, I've got five games. Sorry, five? Well, no. I'll start again. I've got five seasons, and I want to know who we went out of the FA Cup to. Oh, God. And I can, you know, I'll give you clues if you're struggling. So I'm going to do it in chronological order. So 2002-2003 <laughs> season. You can if if anyone could give any commentary around what you think happened in that year on that run. Was that when we lost to Arsenal after the whole Jefferson Louis Swindon thing? Well done, Jack. Oh. Congratulations. Do you um, remember what the score was against Arsenal? Uh, Highbury? 2 0. 2 0. Any goal scorers? Uh, I feel Perez. Bergkamp, didn't he score? Dennis Bergkamp's 100th goal. Because um, we, we had a goal disallowed. Steve Basham got nil, nil. Steve yeah. Basham got robbed. Yeah, he did get robbed. The U's had a Steve Basham effort ruled out for offside after two minutes. Um, they Arsenal had, put quite a good team out. Of yeah, they, I was just looking. Yeah. Seaman, Keown, Upson, Van Bronckhorst, Torre, David Bentley came on, Edu, Pires, Francis Jeffers, and uh, Dennis Bergkamp. And we had... Is that Les Robinson still? Then. Matt, no, it'll be Matt. Matt, Matt yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, okay. So well done, one nil. Right. Next season, two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten promotion season. Can you remember what happened that year? Went out in the second round, and at that point, we had to do the crappy qualifying things as well because we were a Sunday League club at the time. I want to say Halifax. Incorrect. It was a I, sad time. I, f- I feel like it was a woeful defeat at somewhere not very nice, but that's why it's not committed to memory. It, we we beat Furrock 2-0 at home first, then we played Yeovil at home, and the Yeovil were in League 1, I think, then, and we beat them 1-0. I think that was how how it was. And then we went, we had Barrow at home, in the second round, and we drew one all. So then we went up to their place on a Tuesday and lost three one. Yeah, well, yeah, very sad. Right, twenty fifteen sixteen. 
Can you remember? Good positive times that season. Did we beat Swansea that year? Yes. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know who we lost to after. I'm, was, I was in Arkansas in the middle of the asshole of America watching. It wasn't this like, game. no, it wasn't Brentford, but it was a team, wasn't it? Someone. It wasn't that exciting a draw, was it? No, it was very sad. It was at home. They were in the championship. Think Morton Gamst. Blackburn. Yeah. I don't know why I always think about Morton Gamst Pedersen whenever I think of Blackburn. Still playing Morton Gamst Pedersen. No. Yeah, like um, somewhere in Scandinavia. Is Colin Hendry still playing as well? I saw. No, he... I saw. Did you either of you watch that um, BBC documentary about well. the Premier League? Yeah. yeah, he's aged. I think he's aged worse than anyone I've ever seen. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, Colin, if you're listening. Have you seen Herbie Kane? <laughs> <laughs> no, we love Herbie Kane. That was just that was unnecessary. That. Um, right. So yeah, we lost three 0 to Blackburn. Uh, two more left. Twenty nineteen twenty. I do you know what I found this really hard when I was even looking at it. I, um, we were there. That's a burden. Then twenty nineteen twenty was the last season before COVID. You have to remember. Oh, so the Newcastle replay. No. Yeah. That's correct. But well, that was a crack. Man. That was a cracking game, wasn't it? Yeah, it's well, both of them. Um, and then, can you remember last year when I went out in the first round? So let's hope that doesn't happen again this time. I could not remember this. If someone offered me a million quid to spend an hour thinking about it before giving an answer, I wouldn't have remembered. Which is quite weird, isn't it? I don't know. First, first round. We went out in the first round last year. Is it a team in our league? They were, yeah. That's a hint. So it's not. No, no. I was going to say Shrewsbury, but that's not right. We lost two-one to Peterborough at home. Peterborough. Um, I don't remember draw, wasn't it? Yeah, rubbish. Our so first round draws are generally a bit naff. Yeah, um, this about getting through, though, well. I suppose. Has anyone got anything to say about Rovers? There's. Their form's not particularly great. They lost to the scum down the road. They had a good result against Carlisle, and they drawn a couple, lost to Newport, beat Harrogate away, and then they're now playing us. But they're kind of lower mid-table, albeit they're only five points off um, Harrogate in seventh in the playoffs. It's quite a tight league, League Two, this year. Um, the only I don't thing I really know much about their squad, but their manager's continuing to outdo himself in being a complete um, yeah. bleep. Yeah, Joey. can't believe he's still there, to be honest. I didn't know people still gave him money to do things. I mean, what he said was pretty, like... I mean, yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> he managed to sort of... It took them a while to kind of respond to that as well. It wasn't a sorry episode, really. Um just looking at their squad, though, that's where Mr. Pittman is at Bristol Rovers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he's um, doing. He's got four Leon, goals in the league, I think, this year. Leon Clark, um, Glenn Whelan, Paul Coots. They've just recreated, they've recreated the Fleetwood squad from last year. Junior <laughs> Brown is in the squad. I don't know who he's playing. Junior though. Brown with the Afro. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, they've wow. kind of got like a solid League Two. Harry Anderson, he's not a bad player, centre back. God, Mansfield are doing shit, aren't they? Sorry, it's a random, <laughs> <laughs> it's a random one. Just a bit surprised that every and they still got Nigel Clough as well. Yeah, that's really like they always spend big. Never do. Apparently, that. they've not really sold many tickets for the away end for Bristol Rovers. I mean, that's only I think of a tweet I saw from. Such, that's such a rubbish draw for them, though, as well, isn't it? It's terrible. Well, it's, it's moved to the Sunday as well, which has pissed a lot of people off, fairly understandably. Why? TVP just said, Sunday, please. That's amazing, isn't it? Wow. Um. Okay. <laughs> Nothing more to say. I hope we win. What do you guys hope? I hope we win. Don't pick up any injuries. Some of the fringe players play well and... Yeah, just it just get through, isn't it, without any damage? John, who do you reckon the front, 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 the front three will be? <laughs> Can't talk. Um, I think he'll keep. I think he might be. He'll look to make changes as soon as possible. So, but I think it will be sort of Holland. Maybe Ryan Williams might get a start. I think he's already said Holland won't play because of a. Oh yeah, no, you might be right. So yeah. then, yeah, fine. Put White in, and I, I'd play Taylor and. For the spice, yeah, absolutely, and that guarantee of more like score. I think if you play Adji, then you start to send different signals. So, I think yeah, fine. Put White in over Holland. Maybe someone like a Williams, or possibly even a Bowden. Um, wouldn't wouldn't be bothered. I'd be happy with either. Oh, Bowden was did well for them as well, didn't he? Come yeah, and, and he's. I think he's been really unlucky because he sounds like he's done everything kind of asked and not quite able to get into the team and if we want to loan him out we probably need to give him some minutes as well so yeah I'd be, I'd be fine if Bowden started and um, definitely give White some game time if Holland's already yeah. not going to play Any advances for the rest of the team Jack in what you'd want to see? Um, I suppose the only unknown is if Herbie Kane will get permission to play from Barnsley and um, nothing seems to have been said about that so I suppose if he's missing you might see a McGuane perhaps as he got 20 minutes at the weekend um, Ford, Ford maybe at right back to give Long a little break, but I doubt it'll go too gung ho with the changes. And like John says, he'll probably want it. In an ideal world, he can make a couple on sixty minutes. Yeah, Menali will probably play as well, won't he? You'd expect. Don't know. I don't, I think, it's, I don't think it's necessarily a given. Um, hmm. so. I suppose there's no Tuesday game, is there, before the next league game? So he might not rest as many as he would. In with the Tuesday game, yeah. Okay, cool. Should we leave it there? Has anyone got any other anecdotes or anything else they want to say? No, no more jokes about Ben's vest. Okay, right. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. As always, peeps. We'll hopefully be back before a month's time to talk about more <laughs> Oxford United. See you later. <laughs>